Merry Christmas, Chapel Street. How are you? Good. Merry Christmas. Hey, well, I'm so glad that you have chosen to worship with us. I'm seeing a lot of new faces, so if this is your first time joining us, we're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. It's, it's a real treat to be here together on Christmas Eve. We have a lot of fun traditions that we love to share with our neighbors, so we're glad that you joined us. If you could do one thing for me on your way out, if you are new with us, we have uh, new gifts for any guests with us today, and we would love for you to pick one of those up. We'd love to get to know a little bit more about you if you're thinking of sticking around. Even if not, I would love to meet you and just say hi to you. wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, one of the things that uh, we like to do here at the front of our service is just kind of help our church family know what's going on. As you can imagine, a lot of things going on in the Christmas season and the New Year season. One thing I wanted to make sure everybody was aware is that next week we will not be having service here at our campus. It will be online only. This is just a chance for us to give some of our volunteers that work a lot over the Christmas season just a week off to worship at home with their family. Uh, if you do prefer in person, we have an in-person service at our South Street campus at 9 a.m., I believe, or yes, 9 a.m. at South Street, uh, where you'll be able to kind of join in on carolers, organ music. It's going to be a really a great treat. Uh, one other thing I wanted to highlight for you guys, and you'll kind of see this. Anything I mention, if you forget, I don't blame you. Uh, there's a lot that comes out, but we have these that you can pick up on the way in and on the way out, and it just kind of gives you a quick survey of different things going on. So another thing that I wanted to highlight is a newcomer's lunch that we're going to be hosting in January. We just like to make sure we kind of give you a save the day in advance. I know that it's a busy season. Wanted to make sure you got that on your calendar. If you're new with us and want to learn a little bit more about who Chapel Street is, it's a great chance for you to come and ask any questions you have, get to know some of our staff and volunteers. Uh, and again, that's going to be January 21st. And we'll make sure to mention this again before we reach that date. Last thing I wanted to mention with you guys is that starting in January, we're also going to be hosting a class called Faith at Work. And this is just a chance for those of you who've ever wondered, how do I integrate my faith and spirituality with the work, workplace? This is going to be a great chance to talk a little bit about that in a small group. It's a six-week course. Would love to chat with you more about it if you want to learn anything more about it. It'll be 6.30 on Thursday evenings, starting on January 11th. So that picks up pretty quick in the new year. And again, I, I'm, I'm grateful for this because for a long time as a Christian, you would think it's kind of easy for me. I'm a pastor, so my job and my faith kind of line up nicely. But uh, I, for a long time, worked in, in a secular environment. I worked at university, and I always wondered, how do I live out my faith in this setting? What does it mean to be a Christian and be in the workplace? And so I would have really appreciated something like this at that stage in my life, and so would love for you to join with us. Don't need to be a member here or anything like that. Everything that we do is open to everyone in the community, uh, so we're glad for you to join us for that. Well, as we begin worship this morning, I want to invite the Miller family to come up on stage. One of our traditions as a church family is over the Advent season, each week we will light one of the Advent candles and hear from a word of scripture. So the Millers are going to lead us into worship today. Luke chapter 2, verse 27 through 32. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The fourth Advent candle is the Bethlehem candle. As we light it, we are reminded of faith. This world may tell you 
that faith is a crutch or the faith is for the weak. But Simeon would tell you the truth, that faith is for those who see the world and the one who holds the world clearly. Faith keeps your feet steady even when the wind blows harder than ever. Faith allows you to see even when the darkness lasts longer than you expected it to. Faith keeps a candle burning in your heart even when the winter drags on. This Christmas, may the Spirit give us the gift of faith that we may see Jesus like Simeon did. taken from my parents when I was young, in and out of foster shelters, homes, different parents, feeling like nobody wanted me. I just have been through so much and I've carried so much anger towards myself. I would say when I first started drinking alcohol, I was in high school. I had a best friend at the time that was a few years older, so he was going to bars. I have an older brother who's three years older than me and we look similar. So, of course, I took his ID and I was able to get in to places with my older friend and we would drink and, of course, I didn't think it was anything wrong with it, you know? It's been part of my life, a part of what, how I coped, how I had fun, just what was a part of me. Heard so many times, oh, you need to stop and you need to stop and I know now it was just to hide the pain, but it caused so much pain for others. The 18th of April is when I started my official journey at Wayside. Coming here, hearing different stories out of the Bible, I mean, I've never really read the Bible, be only in church did I hear these stories or hear verses out of Mark, Luke, whatever. It was that month after, it was just I started listening and started hearing what they were saying and I just would get something inside me. It's like, man, and of course I start crying. I'd be like, I could resonate with these stories. Let me just think about him all the time. Let me just let this work. Right at that time, I think something just clicked. Be like, you know what? I need to change. And again, like I said, I knew him, but I didn't know that I had to give him everything. And when I surrendered, I remember the day in the shower, just saying, dear Lord, I'm tired of being a screw up. I'm tired of the pain. I dropped to my knees and I said, just help me, whatever it is. I used to look at the cross and know that he died on the cross for us, but now it's not the same. I know what he went through. I can't look at a cross and not see him carrying it and see him being whooped and battered and bruised and still pushing through everything for us, for me. And 
them just saying he could be your father and knowing I didn't have a father growing up that was there for me. And I said to myself, I could replace him. He could do all this for me. Let me try this. Let me give him my all. And I did. Next is Corey Viola. Corey! Share a little bit with us, my brother. Pour your heart out. First of all, <laughs> glory to the number one God, God Almighty. Amen. But as a lot of you've heard, I love the Lord. Amen. And that's what they've allowed me to do, have a relationship with him. Because I knew him, but I have a relationship with him now. I'm sure you all know of him, but do you know what he can do for you? My advice is to the guys behind me, just give it over to him. Just being able to give this story, I know it's going to touch someone, and I think that's why I'm doing what I'm, what I'm doing. I know he, he's gonna put me in a place to be an inspiration to others. I love what they've provided for me. They allowed me to get that relationship with my Heavenly Father that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. I've let the Lord change my life, and it's for the better. And I thank Wayside in that fact that they fed me the food that I needed, which was Christ. You know, we're really privileged to have Corey share his story with us. Uh, if you've been with us over this last season, or if you've been at Chapel Street for any length of time, you know that in the Advent season, one of our many traditions is to highlight a Serve the Well partner. And if you're unfamiliar, Serve the Well is kind of a, it's an arm of our church that seeks to uh, bless and support ministries that proclaim the gospel of Jesus and bring hope to the hopeless and those that need encouragement. And so we've, over the last couple of weeks, kind of highlighted a couple of our different partners because there are many, many different, uh, both locally and globally. Uh, another example is one that we shared last week is Naomi's House, which is uh, an institution for women that are coming out of trafficking. Uh, there's Stephen's House in Ukraine, which is, uh, uh, as you can imagine, is, is going through a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, and that's, a, that's an institute for men who have mental disabilities. Uh, so there's a long list, more than we could ever hope to tell you about in our services. But every Advent, we try and kind of come together as a church family and as, be as generous as we can. Uh, and so this year, we set a goal of $300,000 to raise that collectively for our Serve the Well partners. Uh, and I want to let you know, because sometimes this is not always clear, everything that's given towards Serve the Well, 100% of it goes outside of our walls. None of that is retained by Chapel Street Church. All of it is sent out uh, to our, our partners. And so if you have been a part of giving, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for helping guys like Corey continue to have that story and have those experiences. Uh, and if you haven't jumped in yet, I want to invite you. Think about how you might be involved. If you're a guest with us, please feel no compulsion to give. 
But if you do feel that the Lord is, is, is calling you to be a part of Serve the World, uh, then you can uh, chat with me or any of our ushers. You can leave a donation as long as it's earmarked to Serve the World, because again, it, we want to make sure it goes entirely to them. Uh, but let me pray for us as we come to God's word now and just ask that God would continue to raise up guys like Corey. Father God, thank you for Corey's story and his willingness to share his story with us. Lord, we are so grateful for our brother and the joy that you've brought him, the healing and restoration that you've brought him. And Lord, we pray for his continued blessing. Lord, that even though we won't get to continue to hear his story, God, that Corey would continue to grow in the love of God and that you would use him to do great things. Lord, we pray for Wayside, the organization that he walked through, God, that you would bless them uh, and help us, Lord, as a church to be generous, to give sacrificially, to give as you have given. Uh, Lord, every Christmas we remind ourselves that you so loved that you gave. So Lord, I pray that we would be more like you. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, one of my favorite elements of Christmas decorations is the nativity scene. How many of you all have a variation of a nativity scene somewhere in your house or in your yard. Yeah, there's a lot of us have them. Um, I have only recently discovered just how wide the category of nativity scenes are. So I thought I would share some of them with you. He's one of my favorites. This is what I call the Ned nativity. <laughs> what I really considered calling it is the 80s nativity because this is like an 80s dream come true. You got Bill and Ted in the corner. You got Star Wars, you got Star Trek, you got Batman. This is really the nativity that I wish I had growing up. It's spectacular. But we don't just have that one. We also have what I call the minimalist nativity. I'm, I'm just going to let you know if you've got this, great. I'm glad that you've got some nativity. But really, this, this is all we could come up with. Um, another one is the low budget nativity. You've got the uh, Coke bottles there and the pack of camel. For those of you wondering why it says Joshua instead of Jesus, Jesus' name can be, can be transliterated Joshua, so they were, they were accurate. Uh, and then my last one, my favorite one, is what I call the influence nativity. Because if Jesus was born in 2023, tell me that this wouldn't kind of be what it looks like, right? A Starbucks drink and some selfies with the Lord Jesus. But what do you see when you see the manger? When you see the nativity scene and you see the child in the manger, what is it you see there? What, is it, what are the kind of ideas that come to mind? Is it for you a hopeful story? Is it for you a fun tradition? Is it a religious fantasy? What do you see when you look at the manger? Listen to what John tells us in the Gospel of John. This is what he tells us we should see in the manger. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is a really audacious claim, and we can become a little bit numb to it, because it's a story that we tell ourselves every year, and we see it in media, we see it in movies, we see it in, in books, all kinds of different things, but this is an incredible claim that the Bible's making. What John is saying is that when the word became flesh, when God became incarnate, the glory of God became visible to us in a new way. The glory of God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last battle, it, it said in that book, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. I love that. If you have seen what John tells us appeared in the manger, it's gonna confront you and it's gonna comfort you. It's gonna confront you and it's gonna comfort you all at the same time because there is something in there that's bigger than our whole world, something that's truly glorious, 
So what I want to do with this for this Christmas, just for this brief window that we're together, is I want to urge you to join me in looking with fresh eyes at the manger and seeing what's there and trying to put aside for a moment all of your preconceived ideas and feelings and emotions about what this is and what the manger is and, and try and look as John is urging us to look and see something new, maybe even see something old. And I want to do that by talking about two things. First, a glory that confronts us, and second, a glory that comforts us. A glory that confronts us. Now, I knew that we were going to have some kids in here. My kids are in the service tonight, so I knew I can't preach long-winded, and I've got to have at least one video clip in here to keep the kids entertained. So I found what I think is, is one of the best. This is one of my favorite YouTube videos, and I want you to notice the little girl in the corner where she was kind of drumming on her chest, and watch what happens next. Oh, man. <laughs> yep, they're done after that, right? I would be done too if that happened to me. But what I love about that is sometimes I think that we look at the manger behind protective glass. You see the little girl, she's kind of drumming on her chest. It's fun, it's lighthearted. But then all of a sudden there's this reminder that what's behind the glass isn't something cute and cuddly. It is an 800-pound killing machine. And it dives at that glass and it breaks it. And all, all, immediately everyone leaves the room because all of a sudden they've been awakened to what was really there all along. Well, the manger, we are told, has Almighty God in it. It's not just another child that's been born. It's not just another religious figure. This is God in the flesh come to dwell with us. And that means that what is in the manger, as C.S. Lewis said, is something bigger than our whole world. And yet sometimes we can stand back behind our protective glass of life And forget who's really in there. Forget who's really in there. Christmas should, if we're seeing it rightly, intimidate you a little bit. Should intimidate you. If you are not intimidated by Christmas, then perhaps you haven't really seen what's there. And what the claim is. That child in the manger should confront you. Because what John says is, is that he's full of truth. He's full of truth. I'm always hanging pictures and different things in our house, and the, the one thing that I'm terrible at is getting it level. You know, you're always kind of getting on there, you put the nails in, you hang it, and it's still crooked, so you bring it down, you do it again, and eventually I've got six or seven holes in my wall that are all off. And the thing that I should have done from the start, right, was to have a level, a level that tells me, is this exactly how it needs to be? Well, the child that's full of truth is kind of like a level for all of humanity. What's appeared in that manger is God Almighty, who is the essence of all truth, we're told is the fullness of all truth. The child, if he is the word made flesh, is the measure of all truth. And that means that he is going to change the way that we see ourselves. He's gonna change the way that we see our neighbors. He's gonna change the way that we see the world. We're also busy at Christmas. We're just trying to get through it, trying to get through all of the hecticness of it. If you're anything like me and Janae, your kids are ready to open their gifts. And so you just kind of, you wanna just keep going and get through it. But... Sometimes we need to be disturbed a little bit. We need to be confronted because we need to see what's really there. One of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is in Matthew 2 where King Herod is told about the birth of Jesus. This is what happens. Matthew 2 verses 1 through 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
Now, we all kind of know why Herod is troubled. He's the king. He's worried that this new king is going to dethrone him. But what I noticed this year is that it doesn't just tell us Herod is troubled. It tells us that all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. Isn't that interesting? I get why Herod's troubled, but why was all of Jerusalem troubled by the news of the birth of this king? I think it's probably because this news confronts us with the knowledge that we are not made to run our own lives. That there is a new king who has come to dethrone us, to disrupt everything, to unseat us. We can't live however we choose. If God has come in the flesh, if John is right, and the child in that manger really is God in the flesh, everything has to change. And so maybe we keep him at a distance because if we really look at him, if we truly see him, then that means our life might go through some uncomfortable change. We might see things that we don't want to see. We might notice things that we don't want to notice. I think in some ways Christmas is bad news before it's good news. It's frightening to really grapple with what John is saying has happened. This claim about this child. And if we are to really see the child and allow him to confront us, then we need to see how he also comforts us. And that's the reason why Christmas is a hopeful time. Maybe at this point you're thinking, well, okay, this is not a very hopeful message, Andrew. Jesus is coming to confront us. And that's right, he is. But he also comes to comfort us. The unique glory of the child in the manger, the glory as of the only son, is not just that he confronts us, but he also comforts us. Because in his glory, in this manger, we don't just see the confrontation, but we see his heart. We see his grace. That's what we're told, that Jesus was not only the fullness of truth, but he was the fullness of grace. Let me tell you really quickly just two ways that I see God's comfort show up in the birth of Christ. First, he comes to live with us. He comes to live with us. In Hebrews 4, we're told, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word becoming flesh means a lot of different things. A lot of strange things, a lot of frightening things, but one very deeply comforting thing. That God has come to feel what we feel, to walk through the things that we walk through, to put himself in the same position as us. What John is telling us is nothing short of the most astounding display of humility, if it's true. If it's true that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, there couldn't be a greater fall than from heaven to earth. A longer trajectory, a deeper humiliation. Dorothy Sears, an author at the start of the century said, he has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life, the cramping restrictions of hard work, the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. What I love about this is what she's saying is that this king who's been born is not like any other king in human history because this king, he doesn't sit on his throne and look down at us. He leaves his throne to come and be with us, to walk with us. That should give you indescribable comfort because what it means is whatever you are going through right now, whatever burden is on your back, whatever pain is in your heart, God has chosen. He has voluntarily chosen 
to feel what you feel. He's not sat at a distance, but he's come close so that he knows what it's like to be you. You are not alone. It means that there's no length which God was unwilling to go to be near to you in your pain. Have you ever struggled through loss? So has Jesus. Have you ever felt betrayed or rejected? So has Jesus. Have you ever been betrayed? So has Jesus. Ever had to have faith in the midst of painful circumstances, questions for God? So has Jesus. He's gone through everything that we have gone through. And Edward Shalito wrote this poem that I think is just beautiful. He says that the other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. What Shalito is saying is that there's no other story like this in any other religion in the world. There's no other account of a God laying aside his majesty, his glory, his splendor, his perfection, his righteousness, and coming to dwell and walk amongst us and endure all the same wounds as us. Such a comfort. But the child in the manger doesn't just come to live with us, he comes to live for us. Go back to the book of Hebrews, it says this, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. It's kind of the Bible's way of talking about the incarnation of the coming of Jesus, made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The word became flesh to taste death for all of us. Do you remember the uh, three gifts brought to Jesus by the wise men? Someone shout them out to me. The first one is? Gold. Gold. Thank you. We're alive tonight. That's good. Second one is? Frankincense. And the last one, which I'm not even going to attempt with my British accent because it's going to sound strange. Myrrh. There we go. Okay. (laughs) Now, we kind of typically hear those gifts and we, we think about them, we celebrate them. But very seldom do we actually realize what they meant. They were very intentional gifts. They gave him gold, the wise men did, because he was the king of kings. He has come to sit on a throne above all other thrones. They gave him frankincense because frankincense was an incense used by priests in the temple when, he, when they would pray for people, when they would offer prayers to God. And so Jesus is going to be the priest of priests. He's going to pray for us. He's going to minister to us. He's going to serve us. But the last one, Mayor was an ointment, an embalming ointment that was reserved for death. It is the most bizarre gift to give a child. Why would you bring an embalming fluid to a child? Because those wise men knew what very few of the people realized at the time, is that this wasn't just going to be the king of kings. He wasn't just going to be the priest of priests. He was going to bring the death of death. Jesus came to die for us. Jesus looked at us in our darkness, our brokenness, our pain, the the turmoil of this world, and he knew that if he came down here and he gave himself to us, it would inevitably mean that he was going to have to die for us. And yet he came anywhere. Think about how many of us in our kind of antisocial culture at times when we're trying to kind of stay out of each other's business, how shocking it is to discover that God looked upon our business and said, I'm gonna take the full weight of that on myself. I'm going to come and involve myself. I'm going to take the consequences on it, of it on myself. Even there at the beginning in the manger, we saw that the child had been born to die, to taste death for everyone. Again, this is not a king who asks other people to die for him. It's a king who says, I will die for you. Do you see the comfort of that? Do you see the glory of that? That God would die for men and women? 
that God would taste death for everyone? Who else would do that? It was a brilliant part of the Bible where they highlight just how shocking this is. It says that a good man would die for a good man. But very rarely would a good man die for a bad man. But that's what Jesus did for me. He came and he gave his life, not for the best of humanity, but for the worst. Do you see the glory of the child in the manger? He confronts you, but he comforts you. He says, I've stepped into the darkness to be for you what you cannot be and to do for you what you cannot do. You can let him confront you with the truth because he's first comforted you with his grace. He's been clear about who he is and why he's come. When angels announced his birth, they told lowly shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. The true glory of God, the reason why John says we've seen his glory is because we have seen that God is one who is willing to give himself to us, to trust himself to us. To go through nine months of pregnancy and then spend a lifetime growing up learning like every other child, trusting himself to Mary and Joseph. Do you see what's in that manger? Do you know that this gift of glory is for you? In a moment, we're gonna sing Silent Night together. It's another tradition of ours to close our Christmas Eve services. We light the Christ candle, and then I'll light my own candle and bring it down, and uh, we'll pass it and light each other's uh, candles. And what'll happen is, over the course of the song, the light will spread from the Christ candle and fill the whole room. And it's kind of a symbol for us. It's a symbol for us to remember that the light of the world has come. The true light, which gives life to everyone, had stepped into the world. And he fills the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. As we do that, as we sing those songs, sing that song, I want to challenge you to reflect quietly and see. See yourself and see Christ. See your need and see your Savior. Christmas is as much an invitation to us today as it was to those shepherds. To see the glory of God. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this incredible display of love and grace. That you would set aside your majesty to come and live with us, to walk through life with us, for us. Lord, we will never grasp the full weight of the glory that is in that manger. But Lord, I pray that this Christmas we might just catch a glimpse that our hearts might be renewed to see you to let you confront us and challenge us and grow us because of how you have first comforted us and given yourself to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to thank you for joining us to celebrate this Christmas. It's a gift to our church to be with you, to remember Christ together. If there's any way we can pray for you, encourage you, please, we are a church that we want to be serious about what we believe. We want to share Christ's love with one another. On your way out, if you could just leave your candles for us, there's some bins for that, 
And kids, remember to make sure to pick up your jingle bells on the way out as well. I'm sure the parents are going to be thrilled with those on the car ride home. But otherwise, let me leave you with the words of John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's in his name that we go. Merry Christmas.